Oh, what an overnightscape central. Yeah, we're going to talk about monsters, and it looks like, as of now, that it is just Frank, Edward, Nora, and myself uh, talking about them monsters, the ones that come out on Halloween, the ones we watched in movies and TV, the ones perhaps we've read about. Oh, man, horror was just such a thing for me as a kid, and I still, I have this taste for it, but like a lot of things, I'm sure you've noticed these things that one gets a nostalgia for, and you want to see them, and when you finally do, it's not what it was. It's not the same anymore. And God, the monsters. Oh, yeah, and monsters were big in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Vincent Price was a hero. Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi. I was fascinated by the whole story of Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney Jr., and even watched that terrible biographical movie about Lon Chaney's life with James Cagney, I believe, playing a very Hollywoodized version of Lon Chaney's life. And it was just all so fake, right up to the, like, the dying Lon Chaney taking his famous makeup kit and scrawling Junior after his name. And I don't think he felt that Creighton should follow him. And uh, at that time, I don't think Creighton Chaney had much chance of doing anything uh, until his father died of maybe being in Westerns. He just wasn't the actor, the makeup man. I mean, you study Lon Chaney. That man was a master mime, so he was able to portray in silent films all of these characters and emotions. I mean, have you seen his version of The Phantom of the Opera? That is just an amazing performance that stuck with me. I remember the first time I saw it, uh, my aunt took me to Orange County Community College in Middletown, New York. Uh, there was a festival of silent films. I think we'd seen a couple of Charlie Chaplin's, and this week we were going to see a, a movie I had only read about in Famous Monsters of Filmland. There weren't all these books on horror movies like we had today. There might have been one or two paperbacks that I know of. There just weren't that many things. It was such a obscure topic. But there was the magazine Famous Monsters of Filmland. And I read that whenever I could get my hands on a copy religiously. Uh, it rarely either it showed up at the newsstand that I went to as a kid and other people grabbed it before I could, or it just didn't come there a lot of the time. Uh, we lived about an hour and a half outside of New York City, and the same thing happened with a lot of comic books. You know, you would try to collect a title and get all the issues in sequence, and it seemed to be nearly impossible. I would even show up the days that they would untie the bundles of magazines and look for that, say, new issue of Spider-Man, and no Spider-Man, and uh, the, the holes. And I didn't, it wasn't that important to me. Now, it's this whole obsessive thing. If you collect comic books, you need these runs, and then they reprint them in runs, and I don't know. But Phantom of the Opera was such a classic, 
And uh, the, I talk about them all the time when we talk about horror films. All of those universal horror films, starting with Dracula and Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and Son of Frankenstein and The Wolfman. These were just, any time they showed them, and they showed them on Creature Features on WNEW Channel 5 in New York, which later became the Fox affiliate. And it was a reason not to go out, not to do anything on a Saturday night. Um, and often I would go to my cousins and we would be there glued to the TV watching these monster movies. I mean, there were other horror movies, um, another monster, so to speak. Although, do you count a disembodied hand as a monster? I remember one of the earliest ones that really creeped me out was The Beast with Five Fingers with Peter Lorre. And the, the monster was just this disembodied hand who, through the magic of brilliant special effects for the 1940s, crawled around and would like leap up and grab people by the throat, you know, like the claw in professional wrestling and kill people. Uh, and I was terrified. I mean, looking around to see if there was a hand crawling somewhere or something. But yeah, monsters, uh, let's talk about them. And let's hand the floor over to Frank Edward Nora, because as I said, it looks like it's just Frank and I, but that doesn't mean this isn't going to be a great Overnight Scape Central. Did you ever wonder about monsters? I mean, what are they? Do they really exist? I mean, they're such a part of our culture. Bella Via. La Bella Via. And what town is this? Phillipsburg. Phillipsburg. So we're like right next to Pennsylvania. There's a bridge to Pennsylvania like right over there. Right on the edge. The edge of New Jersey. But I'm here with uh, my brother John. Hi. My Aunt Jan. Hello. And my cousin Vinny. Hey there. Vinny, who I've been wanting to have on the show for decades now. De decades. It has to be. Yeah. Finally, Vinny is here. Oh, it's been a long time. Long yeah. time coming, yeah. Yeah. So the topic today is uh, monsters. Monsters. So what are some of your favorite monsters, if you just had to choose? Uh, and anyone else, if you have monster thoughts? Uh. Um, I was like, uh, oh, what play was I in? I was like Dracula. I, we, we did a, a stage, one of the stage versions of Dracula uh, in Belvedere, New Jersey, a bunch of years ago. Ooh, rolls. You're nice. welcome. A bunch of years ago, and I played Van Helsing, and it was it was a lot of fun actually, uh, running around being old and doddering and trying to kill Dracula. Yeah, did you finally kill him? Or <laughs> it's it's funny actually. The ending is kind of ambiguous. He really? might not be dead. Really, so he might still be out there <laughs> from the play. Actually, it was a really nice guy. Played the role of Dracula. I know he's still around. 
Now, how about like when Dracula's at a monster party with the other, with like the Wolfman and a mummy and Frankenstein? Like, do you, were you into those monster parties? That's my favorite monster thing: is the monster parties. Well, uh, no, I've never been to one. You never been to a monster party? No. Okay. Even even for Halloween, I always went like the superhero or like old comedians. I did Groucho Marx for a bunch of years. I never really anything with, except, of course, Groucho had the the black mustache, but. And eyebrows, but otherwise, I never really went for the makeup stuff. Really? Yeah. yeah one year, we went to a birthday, a, a Halloween party in Brooklyn, and I dressed up like Frankenstein's monster, like really, like with really elaborately. And uh, someone, I went to the party, and someone was like, "Oh, hey, good to meet you. What's your name?" I'm like Frank. They're like, <laughs> "Okay, but really, what's your name?" <laughs> no, I'm really named Frank. It's just a coincidence <laughs> that I'm dressed as Frankenstein. <laughs> you know? Well, that's like the movie My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. Well, every time I tell people about you, My Cousin Vinny, I'm going to see My Cousin... Oh, oh is the movie playing somewhere? What, what are you like... No, I have a cousin named Vinny. Yeah, never gets old. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> Funny every time, as my friends and I like to say. So now you're... you're Me and you and my brother are about the same age, so we're Gen yes. X. We're a bit old on the older side of Gen X. Yeah, but still Gen X, yeah. So do you remember... Uh, the local TV stations would just show like these old monster movies all the time. Yeah, Zachary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you had Zachary? I think we had Zachary. Because that was out of Philly, and I did not have oh, Zachary. You know we might have. Yeah, we might have had Zachary. Because so you had. Za- Do you remember Zachary? He was like one of the horror hosts. You saw him at the chiller. Yeah, we met, met him at one of the chillers. Yeah, he was like uh, so he was like, cool. I have only I've only heard good things about Zachary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's like sort of. Nice he movie. was like an Elvira years before Elvira. Yeah, and and without you know her certain attributes. Yes, exactly. Um, but do you remember like the uh, Mighty Joe Young or like Destroy yeah. All Monsters? Watching it, those. It feels, I think Channel Nine used to show. Yes, those exactly. A lot. Yeah. 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 Ooh, thank you. That's my salad, vegan. Yeah, but I was when when we were kids. I was always more into the comedies. Like I always loved every Sunday at eleven thirty. I always made my dad rush home from uh, mass so that I could watch the Abbott and Costello movie. And they had a lot of monsters in there too. They had meets the mummy meets right. There are a lot of monsters. Costello meets Frankenstein is yeah brilliant, and it it still holds up. It's yeah yeah. They did the mummy. They did the Invisible Man. They did Boris Karloff. They yeah. I think Frankenstein was the first one. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, well, this is a big hit. Thank you. All right. I guess we'll take a break while we're having our our soup and salad, and we'll continue with some monster talk. (laughs) Famous characters of the fairy tale world together for the first time. It's all new when Kay Gordon Murray presents Little Red Riding Hood and the Monsters. See the Wicked Witch and all her bad guys. That guy's Mr. Hurricane. The Robot. Carrot Head. And the Siamese Twins, two in one. Frankenstein. A giant spectacle in color with a story children and grown-ups will never forget. Little Red Riding Hood and the Monsters. And introducing... A new character, Little Tom Thumb. With all the many friends of Riding Hood, Stinky the Skunk, the not-so-ferocious wolf, and the friendly red-headed ogre. Yes, yes, yes! No! 
no, 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 no. Listening to OnSug Radio Previews, October 29, 2023. Here's the next random clip. Overnightscape Central, Monster A Go Go, 9 slash 12 slash 11, 11 by PQ River and the ONSUG All Stars. This particular one where they're talking about the movie, making fun of the movie Monster A Go Go, it's Tom Servo, Joe, and Crow. And this is not by any stretch of the imagination one of their funnier episodes, um, so it is a little hard to get through because the movie's real bad. Um, but at the beginning, it's a little funny because they do a first little short feature called Circus on Ice, and it's kind of funny because it's just wow. Oh yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, but uh, it's it's a bad movie, but it's it'll make you laugh in a few areas. And of course, Joel and the robots are always really funny too. So. That's um, a great um, episode to watch. So um, that's all that I really thought of when I heard Monster Go Go is Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, my best friend introduced me to it um, a while back, probably around 0405. So um, I've been watching him for a while. He's actually been getting all the episodes in and um, watching him by season and I'm um, going to be doing the same also because they're just really awesome. Mystery Science Theater 3000 is definitely a great series that you should give a shot. Great sci-fi. Makes me laugh a lot. Um, a lot of comments they make during the bad movies are just too funny. So um, that's about all I have to say about uh, Monster Go Go and uh, back to you PQ. Signing off. Carrie Michelle. Bye. No idea that uh, it, it was an MS3K. That, that I know there's letters missing. Mystery Science Theater MST3K episode, especially one with Joel. Ah, yes. Uh, but, but all I remember from those is like the Gamera ones and Manos, the Hands of Fate. Oh, it is a great show. Uh, well worth seeing, and it does make a lot of. Uh, terrible B-movies that we used to have to sit through and make our own 
snide comments too. And it, it really does take the load off of our shoulders and we can kick back and somebody else is making the wise-ass comments at the terrible movies. You betcha. And uh, speaking of uh, cliches, I have the quart-sized cup of coffee. And there is some left. Ah, and another exciting episode of the Overnight Scape Central. And that's right, you can be part of the magic. And after uh, Brian Jude goes off topic for a few minutes, uh, I'll be back to tell you what next week's topic is and how you participate. They say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I had every intention of recording my episode of the Overnight Scape Central, uh, my segment thereof, uh, yesterday, Sunday. And uh, what happened? I, it just turned into more of a family day. And uh, you know, I, I think I was going to do it when I went grocery shopping at night and neglected to bring my microphone. Uh, so I couldn't record and then uh, thought, well, I'll do it this morning when I go on my walk and those plans kind of change as well and uh, thought, well, maybe I could do it at home, but of course work prevailed at home and then I actually had to go to work and Tonight's enigma, monster parties proved so upsetting most experts refused to speak with us all but one well, it's certainly an intriguing question. We talked to a doctor who was willing to share his experience. I'd say the first record that ever really covered that topic was uh, Halloween Shindig by Ed Twilly and the Creepers. Everybody's invited. Everybody was frightened. In 1978, there was Monster Disco Ball. And, uh, oh, there's the Goofy Tunes with the Wolfman's Wedding Reception. Gets two squeaks, because it's the funniest one of all. Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy. Would these monsters ever assemble as a group in a party setting? to dance or eat and drink together. While skeptics declared impossible, novelty songs seem to suggest quite the opposite. Could all these songs possibly be wrong? It would probably be held in a mansion or a crypt or cemetery, indoors or mother. It's at night, maybe in a swamp. The most recent example is this one by Jerkin James Whitcroft. Dracula's Pajama Party! What Dracula? Pajama Party! Seven o'clock was the time it started! Oh, Dracula! It's my pajama party! Well, this is preposterous. Monsters? <laughs> Getting together to celebrate? I mean, think about how that sounds. It's ridiculous. I mean,. They get together, it's going to be a terrifying battle. They're not going to get along, much less have a, a bash of some kind. No, no. I wrote Dracula's Pajama Party to help me deal with the pain and fear I had. It happened. 
It happened to me. James Whitcroft's life had forever been changed by what he could only describe as a... I got the scars to prove it. I gained weight from the cake they served. I still have a party favor. Everything I wrote about in Dracula's Pajama Party, I experienced. Uh, the plasma pizza, the blood balloon race, uh, the bombing for brains, No, no. If you were to ask me if a bunch of Draculas might get together, or a bunch of Wolfmans, then yes, they probably do have very good parties. We'll never know. However, we can write poems about it. So, uh, so anyway, so we have the... Now, this is one of the things. Now, I'm going to keep this one. This is very good. This is the Monster Joke Book. Now, this is actually... Uh, let's see, orange construction paper. Remember construction paper? This is this has orange construction paper, okay? And it just there's, there's no cover. It's just sort of like it's a very cool coverless book here. And it's the monster joke book. And there's actually illustrations, and I, I think they're actually a pretty good illustration. I think I drew them. Little pictures of monsters and vampires and stuff. So let me get I need to get some really wacky music for the monster joke book because this is a very wacky book. <laughs> now I think me and my friends did this. I, if I had to guess, it probably was in like the late seventies or something, and it you know, just we, we loved monsters. I always loved monsters. All growing up, monsters were the best. Where's crazy music? Is that crazy enough? <laughs> uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that's time on the Overnight Scape 4. The Monster Joke Book! <laughs> Alright, great. So here's here's some of the jokes. Here's, I'll, I'll read you the whole book. You're gonna this is this is like an audio book right now. Okay, this is this is like the first audio book on the overnight escape, the monster joke book by Frankie Nora. Okay. All right. Here's the first one. Why didn't the skeleton cross the street? Because he didn't have enough guts. <laughs> now you know obviously some of these are, are we probably copy these. We totally plagiarize these. Some of these from other places, but some of them I think are original. Okay. What is the richest kind of monster? Give up. A rotten seaweed monster because he has a lot of sense. <laughs> and then in parentheses, it's like S-E-N-T. Like we're trying to say scent. Like he smells bad. So the rotten seaweed monster has a lot of sense. So he's very rich. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great book. Huh? The, uh, the monster joke book. Uh, what is a monster's favorite game? Baseball because it has a lot of bats. <laughs> And there's a little picture of, like, a vampire bat there. Uh, here's another great joke. Where does Count Dracula keep his money? All right, now, this is this this, this is an old, this is a very moldy old, yeah. A blood bank, yeah. <laughs> now, this one doesn't make any sense. Why did the witch put a spring in her brew? For seasoning! It's like, what? And there's a picture of a witch, like, throwing a giant spring, like, into her, into her brew. For seasoning, <laughs> like... I guess that, that was kind of like the style of jokes. Like sometimes you just had, made, had jokes that made no sense back in the seventies when you were a kid. So that that that's uh, that one doesn't make much sense. Here we go. 
Why didn't the boy ghost, the boy ghost, take the bus home? Because it was too heavy. <laughs> and there's a picture of like a little ghost trying to pick up the 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 ghostly bus service bus, and there's little monsters in the bus, and the bus has like a big like evil eye on it. And it's pretty funny. Uh, because it's spelled B E A, uh, just B E A C A U S E. So that's not too bad, you know. We're just little kids. We don't know how to spell stuff. Come on. Why didn't the boy tell? So it was too heavy. Ha ha ha. Let's see what other great jokes we have here. This is uh, patient. It hurts when I do this. Doc, which doctor? Well, don't do it. So that's that's a really that is a lame. That's like so old. Don't do that. It hurts when I do this. Don't do that. But it's a witch doctor. So that's see, see, that's what we did. We we switched it around. Usually it's just like a doctor. This is a witch doctor. Okay, here we go. And this is which one talking to which two? This joke. Okay. Are you sleepy? No, I'm gruesome. There's another one. It makes no sense. A gruesome is spelled G R O O S U M. Are you sleepy? No, I'm gruesome. Like that makes no sense. These jokes. Okay. I think they start degenerating. I think we we, we probably started off. We had we had we had all these great jokes, and then we started like running out. As, as we were making it, this is all done like in pencil too, like number two pencil. It's like old dull pencil. All right, here we go. Here's a mummy. Mummy, do you like rock music? Skeleton, no, I like bone music. <laughs> we're getting to point. We have like no. These aren't even jokes anymore. It's just like stupidity. I like bone music. I don't like rock music because I'm a skeleton. I like bone music. <laughs> it's just getting stupid. Uh, cannibal one. I smell someone burning. Cannibal two. I do too. Like, like at this point, like we had just like lost it. There's only like one page left. I guess we just sort of gave up on the monster joke book here. Uh, here's a great one. There's a good picture on this one. It was uh, why did the Martian eat rocks? Because he was hungry. Woo-hoo! Sort of a variation on the why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Woo-hoo! So, why did the Martian eat rocks? Because he was hungry. And there's a, a really great picture of a Martian there. You know, that I drew uh, with a rock, like eating a rock. Question. Why did the zombie scare the pants off the man? Answer, because he didn't have enough money to buy any. So, <laughs> so the zombie scared him off and so he can have a pair of pants. The zombie needed pants. He scared the man, scared his pants off. Here we go. Why did the werewolf eat Newt's eyes? <laughs> because he was all out of octopus guts. <laughs> this is like, you know, you, just, you, you know the whole, like, whole concept of monster parties, you know, like, you know, like the, the initial song, the Monster Mash, and then like the Mad Monster Party. Like it just, like, just all sort of like mixes together. Like all these monsters in the monster world. You know, why did the werewolf eat Newt's eyes? Because there was a lot of octopus guts. <laughs> like totally running out of material. And here's the last one. What I referenced in the beginning of the show. What did the hair monster say? Now this hair monster, I guess, was sort of based on cousin it. Remember cousin it from the Adams family? Just a hair monster, a monster made of hair. Uh. What did the hair monster say? Is there a barber in the house? Woohoo! So there you go. The great monster joke book. Whoa. Now I did find, in fact, now this, I don't, I think this may have been, I found a separate sheet. I think it may have been, I think this actually belongs in the monster joke book. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick it in the monster joke book. This is the, this is the, this is the uh, director's cut. This is like the, uh, the uh, lost footage, okay, of the of the monster joke book. This is like this is recovered now. It's back inside the monster joke book. The uh, the deleted scenes, okay. This is the deleted scenes of the monster joke book. This is a long a long joke. I guess we, it's just like uh, between a man and a genie, okay. So <laughs> you, you're getting the deleted scenes now. Here we go, man. A lamp, hmm. It's dirty. I'll rub it off. Poof, genie. Since you let me out of the bottle, I shall grant you three wishes, man. 
Okay, my first wish is a yacht. <laughs> now, I just got to say, yacht is, of course, spelled Y-O-T. My first wish is a yacht. Okay, genie, granted. Man, my next wish is a new car. Genie, granted. Man, and my last wish is a million dollars. And here's a great punchline. Genie, <laughs> if I had a million dollars, I wouldn't live in a bottle. <laughs> That's great jokes on the Monster Joke Book by little Frankie Noor and his friends. Probably my friend Chris and my brother John probably uh, helped on the Monster Joke Book there. So, <laughs> How did you like the Monster Joke Book? I thought that was pretty good. Great. Uh, it's a, I'll be like that guy, that wine guy. It's the greatest joke book ever made. <laughs> like... So, as someone pointed out, obviously, I didn't get the joke about the spring. Obviously, a spring is a season. Why did the witch put a spring in her brew to add more seasoning? And I obviously, for some reason, I just had a mental block when I did the show. Obviously, on an, on a later episode, I uh, I corrected that as spring is a season, yes. Um, anyway, yeah, that was just some monster-related stuff I wanted to play for you. Uh, starting off with uh, the song Monsters by Little Frankie Nora from around... January of 1987. I, I, I put that together and definitely inspired by Laurie Anderson. What are monsters? Are they real? And then it sort of ends. My real thought about monsters is, and that it was uh, deliberately just cut off there. Yeah, it wasn't a mistake. Then, just yesterday, oh, I wish we had recorded more, but it really wasn't the right circumstance. Uh, my, my cousin Vinny, his mother, uh, my Aunt Jan, and my brother John, we were there in a restaurant brief, brief segment about monsters. That was just yesterday. The first time Vinny's been on. I just wanted Vinny to be on the Overnightscape uh, Underground for so long and talking about a few monster-related things. That was yesterday over in uh, Phillipsburg by Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, I, and, and you may have heard that segment's also on the Overnightscape. It's like a it's like a, a, a connected segment. It's on two different shows. I told them, you're going to be on the Overnightscape and Overnightscape Central. And I realized that was too much information, too too confusing. Uh, then I played uh, the trailer for, uh, I don't think I ever saw this movie, Little Red Riding Hood and the Monsters. I always thought this was one of the best monster-related uh, movie trailers out there. After that, I uh, I did kind of, uh, you know, recently I've been doing the uh, Onslaught Radio previews, experimental show, and I figured I would uh, choose a segment from the previous monster-related, uh, back in 20, what, 2011, actually, in September in 2011, um, Monster A Go Go here on Overnightscape Central. So it was a section with uh, Carrie Michelle and then you hear PQ and then also Brian Jude briefly. Hello, this is your random segment. It wasn't random. I chose that one. <laughs> then I uh, played, uh, of course, uh, uh, some of the classic Mr. Show Monster Parties uh, skit, you know. And as I mentioned, as, as sort of is mentioned in a lot of these things, the monster parties are my favorite monster thing. Um, and finally, a segment from the Overnightscape number 70 uh, from uh, July of 2004, the Monster Joke Book, as I was just talking about with the spring joke that I didn't get the first time around. But anyway, yeah, it is the uh, October 29th, just two days till uh, Halloween. I'm sitting here on my porch. It's yesterday when I drove out to Phillipsburg to see uh, Jan and Vinny and my brother. It was 80 degrees Fahrenheit all day. It was a beautiful day. Now it's like 50 degrees, rainy and nasty out. So had a great road trip. In fact, you may have heard the road part of the road trip on uh, on the Overnightscape that I haven't released yet, but you may have heard it already. I don't know how the timing works on that, the one called Various Sunshines. I have a uh, 
a jack-o'-lantern thing here, like a metal jack-o'-lantern. It looks like something you would use to carry, like, oh, I guess it's not meant to carry candy because it has a hole in the front. I guess you're supposed to put a candle in there and it looks like a jack-o'-lantern. It's made of metal. Yeah, I don't know. No manufacturing mark on there. So, well, no, there was a label on it. It was from Home Goods or one of those cheapo stores, anyway. Monsters. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different. There's there's several different major categories of monsters. I mean, uh, there's uh, the monsters that are in legend and mythology that people talk about. You know. Dragons and mermaids, Bigfoots, Jersey Devils, Loch Ness monsters, uh, you know, and all of the ones in you know mythology, the the Minotaur, the three headed dog, the Cerberus, you know, um, chupacabras, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So the ones that people think like might be real, you know, and I think vampires and werewolves and mummies and the uh, Frankenstein monsters sort of kind of are. Uh, at least in terms of uh, the legends and the folklore and things. So that's one kind of monster. Uh, another kind of monster, of course, is the humanoid Universal Studio monsters, which is where monster parties come from. So uh, a vampire, especially Dracula, um, a Frankenstein's monster, a werewolf, of course, uh, a mummy, and then... You know, I think the classic movie Mad Monster Party, uh, the Rankin-Bass uh, stop-motion animated movie, sort of a really the the greatest and uh, manifestation of the Monster Party concept that they're, they're, they're having this Mad Monster Party. But there's so many different ones. There's a Creature from the Black Lagoon, a King Kong. Um, there's uh, an Invisible Man, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So just really the the, the more extended version, an Igor, Punchback Guy, Skeletons, right? Uh, there's it, it, it kind of and even like it's so weird because um, the Francesca and uh, the grandson are both like they're both like robots in the end. They're like replicants or something. It's a good movie. So there's those kind of monsters. And then there's the kaiju or the um, the giant monsters. And we sort of delighted to growing up the movies. These were like the most important movies to us. Uh, Godzilla, of course, and Gamera and King Kong and all of those giant monsters uh, were the ones, you know. And then, of course, the greatest movie, again, kind of like a monster party, was um, Mad was, uh, Destroy All Monsters. And on the other side, I do play sometimes that that uh, musical clip. The song they played apparently was a very rare version of the movie they used to play on like Channel Nine or Channel Eleven. Right? Maybe I should tack that. I think I'll tack that to end the end of this one. You got to because as, as kids, when like we whenever Destroy All Monsters was on, it was like the greatest moment of our life. It was on live. We didn't have a VCR. And then when they played that music, we would be like marching around the basement. We just loved it so much. And that's the one that has uh, Godzilla's son. What's his name? Min- Minoru? Minota? Mineta? Something like that. The little baby Godzilla, you know. But all the monsters are in that movie. But, of course, Gamera's not, in the same, not done by the same company. So Gamera's the big turtle guy. So he's not uh, – those monsters aren't, aren't together. I wonder if they ever did it. They must have done a crossover at some point because – anyway. Um, then there's other kind of monsters are like, uh, you know, people who are monsters, who do monstrous, terrible things like serial killers, etc. And um, 
there's that song by Blue, Blue Oyster Cult off the Cultosaurus Erectus album called Monsters about these people in a spaceship. But it's the people – they think there's a monster in the spaceship, but they're actually just sort of killing each other or something. And it's the people that are the real monsters. You know, that's sort of like the uh, the end of the <coughs> – you know the conclusion a lot of people have so there's people are you're you're a monster how could you do these things in fact um on that show gen v the spin-off of the boys the superhero uh the adult oriented superhero show on amazon prime one of the recent episodes was welcome to the monster club because one of the characters was a psychic and was erasing people's memories like oh you're a monster kate oh spoiler alert uh, sorry about that. You should watch Gen V, but forget what I just said. Uh, yeah. And of course, all the monster toys as kids. Um, <coughs> what was that thing that sort of came and went? The ugly, the, the ugly dolls, the ugly monster dolls was a big thing. Remember ugly dolls? That was a weird thing that happened in the 2000s at some point. Uh, but yeah, we loved every we loved monsters. What is it about kids that I guess you know uh, the obsession with monsters is is a more of a male thing than a female thing? Possibly, I'm not sure. These days, it's all gotten very confused. But anyway, um, yeah, what is the childhood obsession with monsters? I just remember as a kid, anything like I just loved monsters. In fact, um, at Sesame Street, a lot of the creatures the puppets or the Muppets were considered monsters, right? Cookie Monster and Telly Monster, right? Telly was after my time. I, that was a much later monster. But yeah, they were like called monsters. But they weren't. They didn't do terrible things. They were just funny monsters, like Cookie Monster, right? Grover was a monster. Like that sort of style of puppet were monsters. But then there were puppets that were more that were not monsters, like Bert and Ernie were humans. They weren't monsters, right? That's how Big Bird, obviously, is a bird. He's not a monster, but the monsters were a big part of it, too. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, what was it about monsters that just delighted us so much? It's it's very strange. Um, it seems to be like a built-in thing to love monsters, and I don't know why. It's really weird. It's sort of taking the real world. I mean, they... They do call, you know, like a killer whale could be like a monster <coughs> or like a, uh, a big Komodo dragon could be like a monster or a monster shark. But generally, as we understand the real world around us, there's less of a, ver- a variety of life forms than we have in our fiction. So monsters sort of take off on a human or an animal and then th- then just make it bigger and hairier and crazier and can do anything. I think that's – I know that – one of the episodes, I forget which one it was, Doc Slees was, uh, I think it was on a central. I don't believe it was, it, I don't think it was Monster Agogo, though, um, from 2011. But it was like, he was like, uh, he was saying people love monsters because they're um, able to act transgressively. That is, uh, they can sort of do whatever they want. And that's how why people relate to them in some ways. And it's a very interesting point. And he was saying that, like, The Mummy – I think he was talking about the, the movie The Mummy. When, remember they were trying to revive the, the, the monster verse, and it just didn't work. Like, The Mummy movie was crap, whatever. 
And he's like, the mummy really wasn't, didn't have that transgressive quality, like, like a Dracula and a vampire, kind of like a human, but they can kind of do whatever they want, you know. Um, and I think that is, for a lot of people, a central um, concern or central thought is that, you know, if they, if they only had the freedom, they would do all these other things. Hopefully not the terrible things. Obviously, some people might do terrible things and become monsters themselves. But they relate to the monsters because of that. And there's – I've been thinking about this a lot. It's hard to put into words, but the sort of the monster fa- – like fashion, subculture. There's there's a certain subculture that is, relates to like the goth movement and um, dark fa- – like, you know, like uh, – yeah, gothic fashions, witchcraft, the occult, and just uh, sort of – referencing uh, especially the movie monsters and monster masks and things like that that uh, is is sort of an aesthetic cult subculture that people relate to a lot and I know that the monster movies and especially watching old monster movies on TV because these monster movies you know I think from the 1930s especially the talkies um, there were so many monster movies and horror movies and then seeing them on TV, like late at night, on a black and white TV by yourself, is such a, is su- there's such a romance connected to that. And it's sort of like um, the presence of the monsters in the movie make it sort of more accessible, universal, uh, lovable <laughs> in a weird way. I know I'm, I'm sort of struggling to define this, you know. Uh, but it's an interesting sort of aspect of our culture that people seem to sort of gravitate around the monsters. And again, I think like uh, it does relate to, I think in another way, one possible explanation for it is that uh, the, the human condition, that each of us as a mind, as a, as a consciousness, finds ourselves um, sort of as the puppeteer of a human body to Operated, but I think deep down we kind of know that we're not human, that we're something else that's sort of operating a human, right? And are we, like, would we be considered monsters if we could see what we really are the next level up, right? So it could be this this sort of deep down knowledge that we actually are inhuman or that humans are just sort of our one aspect of our existence that sometimes in our cosmic existence we uh, decide to uh, to become a human or to what's the right word to take over and control a human or become a human for a whole lifetime or whatever you want to say but we really aren't that there could be something to that um, and I think also you know my theory of you know it's not just my theory but that there's other worlds out there with other types of intelligent beings that we see uh, monsters, especially in terms of uh, fantasy and science fiction, right? When you have a fantasy, you have uh, ogres and orcs and owl bears and all sorts of Dungeons and Dragons type monsters. And in space as well, you have lots of different monstrous aliens and life forms and things. Um, the idea is, again, maybe that is actually the truth of the larger world that we're living in, that we're living in an isolated world where uh, those types of, of beings are not allowed to kind of be out in the open, 
but may stalk at night, you know. Um, so maybe deep down we know about that as well, and that's why we relate to monsters so much. And, of course, state monsters is a big thing. New Jersey has the uh, the Jersey Devil, obviously, which is uh, one of the best state monsters, which I think to some extent the a lot of these monsters, the Bigfoot, the Sasquatch, the Jersey Devil, they're all the same life form, which is a hominid, a uh, you know, a, a large furry humanoid that uh, is very good at hiding from humans and uh, possibly can pass back and forth between a world. So it's on, maybe only ventures or accidentally into our world occasionally. Um, but enough that people see it some time to time. Then, you know, there's the chupacabras in Puerto Rico, I think, which I don't think is like a hominid. It's a different kind of thing. You have a Loch Ness type monster, a plesiosaur up in uh, Lake Champlain up in New York. Uh, but the Jersey Devil, I think, is the best state monster ever. And I think out west you could say you have, like, the, the the aliens, like, out in New Mexico and stuff with Roswell. Is that, PQ, is that the state monster of New Mexico? Like, just a generic, like, alien, bug-eyed alien? I don't know. Monsters, come on! You know, as kids we'd just be like, It's a monster! Kind of like the the best video game. I would say the best video game monster ever. Would you consider Sinistar to be a monster? He is a monster. He's scary. He's this giant face in space that these little drones are putting together. I live!
got a taste and to hear Vinnie Fodi. That's pretty remarkable in and of itself. I wish there would have been more, but any. I mean, getting anybody on this show is just, because of the nature of it, it's kind of awkward, and that was a great segment. I had pretty much spaced out the uh, apparently infamous monster a go-go episode and hearing a little Carrie Michelle there. Uh, someday they say she's coming back, perhaps, but uh, she did appear on an exit ramp recently, and that was kind of cool. And a lot of monsters that I really uh, wasn't thinking of, like the giant monsters. And yeah, I think WOR on Sunday mornings for quite some time was showing all the Godzilla movies. And yeah, I think originally they called the baby Godzilla in Destroy All Monsters, which was a favorite of my younger brother and I growing up. I even made little like paper dolls of all the monsters. I'm sure they were very crude and lasted about two weeks. I, I, I envy these people like Frank who preserved all their childhood stuff. I was so disorganized and such a slob that most of it wound up there would come a time when PQ Brett hadn't cleaned his room and uh, I would go to my cousins for the weekend or away and I would come back and literally anything that hadn't been put in its proper place had been disappeared and disposed of. There was one time they really did an entire, I got bad grades and I had a big mess. I did this uh, Asperger's, ADHD, whatever the heck you want to call it, has uh, lingered with me and made me do things that didn't fit. And yeah, I, I so much envy people like Frank, who everything, well, not everything, but a lot of things from his childhood are preserved. Although at a certain point, what use is it? I mean, yes, I, if had I saved it, I would have this huge pile of stuff that whenever I moved around the country, perhaps, I would have had to drag with me. And then when, when I croak right now, I'm wondering who on earth is going to want the few things I have left. Yes, maybe the actual uh, computer I am using at the time that I go to that great reward, wherever that may be, or just into the darkness, it's hard to say. Uh who wants this stuff? It's all going to wind up in a dumpster, maybe a few sentimental objects. But it, And even if somebody gets my computer, uh, one by one to make space, any files I have, oops, you don't need it. I mean, I do have the infamous hard drive that Frank sent me with the onsug up to a certain point, and that's kind of a precious thing. And I hope my kid finds something, some reason to preserve it, and give it to my perhaps grandson Landon. Uh, but I don't know. All this stuff that we do, yes, we feel it's important to preserve it and that somebody somewhere will appreciate it in times to come, some anthropologist. But I mean, we, it's hard to get more than a few people to listen and participate now. And speaking of which, while that was going on, Doc Slees came through with a segment. So momentarily, we'll be hearing from the good doctor, who is indeed, if anybody on this channel, except for maybe Mark Rose. Um, I wish Mark Rose would have uh, participated, but he is a very busy man. I'm surprised he has time to do these Zappa things. 
He's like a real professional guy. And uh, anything he's ever done for the Central has been a real treat. And doing the Zappa shows with him. The next one coming up, we're going to talk about the third and fourth Frank Zappa albums ever. You know, the commercial major canon ones. And that is We're Only In It For The Money, which has the infamous uh, satire of Sgt. Pepper cover and Lumpy Gravy, his first uh, almost all instrumental experiment in pastiche music. I don't know what you would call that, but I am sure Mark, who indeed knows a lot more than me, will guide us through and I'll get to make my candid comments and such. And it'll be a good time, so look forward to that. But yes, uh, other monsters. Well, there's always that trope with monsters that can barely move, and yet they chase people down. The mummy, Frankenstein. These are, quote-unquote, monsters that are lumbering and slow, and even, like, an old person can probably toddle away as fast or faster uh, Dracula, of course, is pretty dangerous because he can turn into a bat. And uh, yeah, bat can pretty much uh, fly around and get you. And then he turns back into Dracula and bites you in the neck. Oh, man. Uh, the Mummy, which is, I don't know, the lamest of all of the uh, universal monsters. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. played the original one. And then uh, I don't even remember the names. Some uh, Once again, Lon Chaney Jr. played in Westerns. And I believe everybody who played the mummy after that was part of the Universal Studios Western film casts. Um, I don't know. Why do you need a cowboy to play a mummy? And the story is just so lame. I, I mean, it's a good idea, but something that moves that slow. And even today we have zombies which are some sort of alleged threat. And yeah, they just shamble along. And uh, I mean, they might be a little relentless, but really now. Anyways, um, I'll probably have some more to say. I think that uh, I want to hear what Doc Slees has to offer. So let's listen together. When I was a kid and sort of half watching the television, or at least it was on, somebody else was watching it and I was, I don't know, playing with my Lego or whatever. And... Uh, Occasionally, you'd hear some unusual woman in the midst of a drama say, oh, he's a monster. At which point I would look up an expectation of seeing something along the, some, you know, something big and hairy lumbering into the room or you know, on television or, or something like the Frankenstein's monster or, or, or at the least, a, you know, some pasty faced vampire <laughs> coming on to drink somebody's blood. But of course, they didn't mean that at all. Uh, <laughs> because it's the it's the other other popular usage of the term monster, which is used to describe a human being that um, someone who does something or has attributes, not physical attributes, but mental or moral attributes that we would consider depraved or evil. The human monster, even used as a, as a, as a title, of course, it's the US release title of the um, 
British horror film, Dark Eyes of London, made in, what, about 1930, 38, 39? Um, which is based on an Edgar Wallace novel, starred Bella Lugosi. He made a few films in the UK about that time, just before the outbreak of World War II. But, um, yeah, The Human Monster, which rather epitomised, in a way, though, another aspect of, 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 of human monsters, in that the title, the US release title, was referring to one of the characters, this big, hulking, uh, blind man who was used by the villains to, to murder anybody who was onto them, onto their... I seem to remember it, the, the film, there was a German remake of it in the 1960s, Edgar Wallace being very popular in Germany. And um, I seem to remember it having something to do with with people running some home for the blind, <laughs> drowning various of their charges <laughs> and making it look like an accident uh, so they can claim the insurance money or something. It was all very involved. You know, this big fellow was doing the drownings for them. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's a, it's the sort of thing that goes on in Edgar Wallace stories. <laughs> yeah, as ever, there's always some dogged police inspector on the case. But yeah, human monster, Adolf Hitler. It's a human monster. People like to say. Um, yeah, although of course, like all classic monsters. He wasn't all bad because he was a human monster. It was said that Adolf Hitler was always very nice to the ladies in the typing pool down in the bunker. He used to take tea with them every day. They all said he was lovely and wonderful, wonderful man. You know, always very courteous and polite to them. There you go. In no way excuses uh, the Holocaust or anything else he instigated. But, you know, whole of World War Two. But, <laughs> you know. He was nice to the typists. You know, most monsters always have that mildly, not fully redeeming, that, that little spark to them that you think, wow, if only so, like if only people had praised Hitler's painting more, he wouldn't have been a monster. He'd been some nice chap who ran an office and was nice to the typing pool. I don't know. But, um, yeah, human monsters doing horrible things in the real world. Unfortunately, there's too much of that going on at the moment. So let's delve back into the world of films and, and fiction for monsters. Now, um, the human monster, going back to that film, Dark Eyes of London, is interesting there because there it has this other aspect of a human monster. It is a human being with some kind of disability or deformity is then classified as a monster. Um, this is this sort of demonization of the different, the other, the disabled, even the ill is um, an aspect certainly of films made in the, I don't know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even through to the 80s. Um, is a rather, I don't know, tasteless aspect of horror films that seems to have fallen away somewhat. 
Um, and it was amazing, this sort of, because it goes back to the original um, origins of the word monster, which was used to describe, it was a Greek, from the Greek, it describes the different, the, um, you know, the abnormal. And it's a throwback to that the, in, in fiction, and particularly in films, this, this depiction of because someone is physically different or they physically appear, I don't know, ugly or whatever to our eyes or to according to society's norms, they must therefore also be evil of intent. Which doesn't follow at all. It's a very medieval notion, and yet it persisted in the 20th century, certainly in fiction and in films. Mainstream horror films and things used to get this all the time. As I say, we, we had the uh, the blind being stigmatised, and, and indeed he's not just blind, he, he is, um, I don't know, mentally deficient. I don't know what the polite term would be. Again, stigmatizing me mental um, problems, mental illness, also always stigmatized in film to make people monstrous. But you get it time and again in uh, in films. Hunchbacks, hunchbacks in particular, are frequently um, <laughs> in films depicted as being evil, always evil henchmen, you know. Frankenstein always seemed to have a, a some sort of hunchback of dubious moral character as <laughs> his grave robbing sidekick. Um, you know, in in the first one, it, it, you know, he he was it's Fritz, wasn't it? it? Was the hunchback in that? Um, and <laughs> played by Dwight Fry, and uh, he wasn't a hunchback in real life. But because people always think Igor was a hunchback. Igor was actually um, the son of Frankenstein's um, sort of accomplice in the film of the same name, in that Igor actually was, was blackmailing and coercing um, Basil Rathbone's son of Frankenstein into reviving the monster. And the thing about Igor, he isn't a hunchback. He has a Broke, he's deformed, physically deformed, as the result of a failed attempt to hang him, which broke his neck and it healed, but his neck is left crooked. As dear old Bella Lugosi played him twice, played him in, in Son of Frankenstein and again in Ghost of Frankenstein. And of course, Boris Karloff had a hunchback assistant in um, Sidekick, played by J. Carol Nash um, in House of Frankenstein. Nash being um, actually an Irish actor. He seemed to spend most of his career playing playing um, Italians and occasionally Chinese people for some bizarre reason. But yeah, I remember him there. I vividly remember that was one of the first classic Universal horror films I ever saw on television was House of Frankenstein. I vividly remember J. Carroll Nash as this ridiculous, um, well, I know now it's this ridiculous, huge rubber hump on his back, uh, looking like no real hunchback, you know, no one really has such a spinal deformity as ever looked. And he, um, yeah, he becomes jealous, doesn't he, of the, mon of the attention the monsters. First of all, he gets jealous of the fact that the wolf, that that uh, gypsy girl um, played by Elena Verdugo has the hots for, for Lon Chaney Jr.'s wolf man rather than him. 
because he's got this ugly deformed body so he thinks i thought no it's just because you're an evil bastard is the reason she doesn't like you and then later becomes jealous of the monster for the attention that boris karloff's um, dr nyman is paying him he attempts to revive him he, i remember he he, he whipped when the monster's strapped on the table before he's fully revived he, he whips him and uh so which foolish because as soon as the monster's fully charged up first thing he does is is uh is strangle well, throttle um hunchback to death joyce remember his film vividly is a shadow on the wall you see the shadow of him lifting him up one-handed by the neck and throttling and dropping his lifeless body see <laughs> i was very impressed like huge impression on me i was very young when i saw that that film it's not a particularly good film, The House of Frankenstein, but it has stuck in my memory. And it's a great film um, as an introduction to the universe of monsters because you get three monsters, three of the main monsters, for the price of one in it because Dracula turns up in the form of John Carradine. Then we have Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman and we have the Frankenstein monster, plus we have a hunchback thrown in who's obviously evil and monstrous. To be fair to Universal, in the last entry in the series of, of, of the horror films if one doesn't count Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein House of Dracula there's a hunchback in that but it's a sympathetic hunchback it's the female assistant of um of Dr Edelman is a hunchback but she's sympathetic but which doesn't stop her being throttled to death by the revived monster obviously in shadow again on the wall uh, <laughs> yeah because got a tradition by then but yeah now interestingly the f the film and indeed source material which is the exception of portraying hunchbacks as evil is the hunchback of notre dame and it's sourced enough from um, notre dame de paris um by victor hugo because their quasi-bodo the hunchback is ultimately a sympathetic character who is characterized by other people because of his deformities because he's not just he has a hunchback, he also has a facial deformity. He's he's character and he's deaf. So he speaks like that. He is characterised by these people as being evil, although he isn't really. Um, some of his actions are misguided and he can be quite violent towards people he feels is threatening him or, or the cathedral, which is his home. Um but in essence, that's all he wants to do. He he, try, he he falls in love with the girl Esmeralda and does his best to protect her. And, and in the source novel, of course, fails on some film versions. But he does his best to protect her. He tries to protect the cathedral against um, the, riot, the, the rioters who, who try and storm it, who he mistakenly believes... Uh, part of a lynch mob after Esmeralda and a threatened cathedral when in actual fact they're trying to rescue her but um yeah there you go see he that's an interesting case of, of, of um they have their cake and eat it because he's portrayed on the one hand various characters claim he's a monster but we reveal he's really he's really a good guy at the end of the day a quasimodo but usually most film versions, he pays for being a good guy by, by perishing <laughs> whilst protecting Esmeralda in the cathedral. But there you go. But yeah, yeah. But it continues. It's not just in 1930s and 40s films you see that. 
the people with uh, physical disabilities are shown or, or, or people are physically different being shown as evil dwarves are a particular target for this in uh, in cinema and indeed in myth and legend you know, dwarves are more often shown as being evil um, even when they're not being some witch's henchman or some evil baron's henchman and they're acting on their own accord to evil little bastards, you know, always up to no good. Trust me, those seven dwarves who hung out with Snow White, they were the exception. And probably if you went back to the origins of that, you'd find they're all raving sex maniacs or something, I don't know. Uh, most fairy tales have their origins in legends which are most certainly not suitable for children. But dwarves on film are, are almost... Um, as mischaracterized as evil just because of their physical appearance as hunchbacks are um, you know they're always up to no good you just can't trust them you know it's very rare that a dwarf in classic horror films and certainly even into the 60s, 70s even is shown as entirely sympathetic and again they always suffer from the fact that people perceive them as evil wrongly. In the British early 70s horror from the mutations, a girl runs screaming from a group of dwarves when they haven't done anything. They're part of a freak show and um, they're actually revealed eventually to be sympathetic characters. But it's simply the sight of them repulses her. And, they, and she treats them as if they're monsters and runs off in fear from them. Which rather typifies the attitude towards dwarves. Even if, as I remember, in was it Circus of Circus of Horrors, I can never remember. There's a couple of British films with you know, Circus of Horrors or Circus of Fears. It was the 60s. I say British. It's, a, it's actually a German production, an Anglo-German production, and um, made very much in the style of, of the Edgar Wallace Crimi films, made, being made in Germany at the same time. It's a dwarf character in that, and whilst he doesn't turn out to be the villain, he's one of many red herrings. He's still revealed to be a shifty character by the end of the film. Uh, he's been manipulating various and blackmailing various people, even though he didn't actually doesn't actually kill anyone. And the sort of implication is, well, he's a, he's a twisted personality because he's a dwarf. Yeah, it, it runs throughout the, this this fear of, of of the different, the odd. I mean before leaving the subject of dwarves as monsters in films, one, one must always include the British film I Don't Want to Be Born, made in the mid-70s, early to mid-70s. That's Joan Collins of them, brightly. Um, which, this woman gives birth to a demonic child as a result of, be, of being cursed by a dwarf, uh, who, whose advances she had, she had repelled or repulsed. Because she found him repellent and repulsive. And so she rejects his message. There's a great peril there. You shouldn't reject dwarfs, otherwise you'll get cursed. Which seems to be the main message of this film. It cursed into, I think, a demonic child. Which... <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible, this sort of discrimination against people who are different. 
yeah, I mean, it's one of the most bizarre cases of physical difference <laughs> being shown as 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 uh, being synonymous with evil would be um, the Lon Chaney silent film from the late twenties, The Unknown, where he's a knife thrower who, oh God, it's in order to, he's, oh, if I can't remember, he's murdered, so he's killed someone. And um, the father, actually, of, of this girl that he loves. But, uh, I don't know, he, he, his act is he has his arms bound tightly to his body, so he looks as if he's, he's armless, and he throws knives with his feet. <laughs> But he has his arms. That's right. That's right. This girl then mentions to him. I can't remember if it's before or after he, he, he inadvertently kills her. Anyway, she tells him she can't because of her past childhood. She, she hates to feel um, a man's arms around her because of her previous uh, traumatic experience in her childhood. Implied to be some kind of sexual assault. Uh, so he has his arms amputated for real. That's right. He pretends to be armless. That's right. As a disguise, to to you know, at, when he goes on the run after killing this man, who turns out to be a father. And yes, yeah, so he has his arms amputated. After which he he seems to become even more evil and even more jealous of any association she has with another man. And so there's implication that now he's he's physically disabled. He's maimed himself. That makes him even more evil. It turns into as before he might just have been misguided. Now he's just downright evil and mad. Because <laughs> madness is equated with evil as well. It's not just physical disability. God, if you're bonkers, that's uh, you must be bonkers and evil. You want to go at killing people. Any form of mental derangement in in. Uh, in the cinema particularly, is a sign of evil, a sign you're going to become a homicidal maniac like Norman Bates in, in Psycho. But yes, um, going back to Long Chaney chopping his arms off, is another example of that much later in the 80s, the film The Burning, um, which otherwise is, is a fairly standard slasher movie. But, the slasher in it himself. Um, he becomes a slash starts murdering these teenagers after well he was a caretaker at a summer camp as part of a prank gone wrong. He was set on fire by these kids. Horribly burned and obviously deranged. And um he 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 then when he's eventually released from hospital goes off and starts goes back to the the summer camp and starts murdering. Uh, the current crop of teenagers. Note, because the, the thing that makes it stand out about the slashes at the time is its stigmatization of Burns victims, because simply the fact that he suffered these horrible makes him repugnant to everybody who encounters him, and they just assume he must be an evil bastard. He has an, after he's been released from hospital, he has an encounter with with a with a hooker. It doesn't go very well. She's utterly repulsed by him. And, you know, and that's synonymous with the fact he's evil, his appearance. And he's a crazy man. He's murdering people. 
Yeah. Going back to that film, The Mutations, <laughs> the early 70s with the dwarfs. That is an interesting one because it does try and confront that question of just of, of, of us making um, an unusual appear, physical appearance synonymous with evil. Because Tom Baker's in it. And he's pretty much unrecognisable under makeup. He plays the manager of the freak show who has a facial deformity. And um, there's a very, I mean, he's a pretty a bit of a, more than a bit of a bastard, the character in the film. Um, although the real villain is Donald Pleasance, as ever. Who's a crazy scientist? He's not deformed or anything. Or disabled? He's just mad. Uh but there's a very poignant scene when Baker's character, he goes to a prostitute to pay her for sex and she sees his face. And this is really point when she, she tries not to, but she flinches. And, and it's so point he, he his plea was, you know, what do you want? When she asked him what he wants, he said, just to be, it's basically just to be treated as, as a human being. You know, it's, it's very well played by Tom Baker, but uh, yeah, because that's his, his point. There's, there's a scene that, and it mirrors the famous scene from the film Freaks, where they go, one of us, one of us, you know, after they've... Um, and there's, there's, um, there's a similar scene in Freaks where some of the freaks for want of a better, uh, in, 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 in a so, so similar scene in the mutations when some of the denizens of the freak show are celebrating a, someone's birthday and Tom Baker's character turns up and they shout at him, one of us, one of us. And he's repulsed, he himself is repulsed by this idea of being seen as one of them, as someone who is different, who is a monster, simply because they appear different. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. <laughs> Human monsters in movies and literature. It's an interesting thing that, you know, that seems to have largely died out now. Uh, people, I think, <laughs> both people who make and the people who view horror films have become a little more sensitive to these ideas now. It is really quite um, offensive. Um, to characterise <clears throat> people in this way simply because um, through accident of, you know, accident of genetics or literal accident, you know, you, you could end up appearing different to everyone else. It's, it's, it's quite offensive to stigmatise them as being monsters and assume the appearance... Their, their nature must follow their appearance of being warped and twisted. As the medieval mindset would have it. But yeah. But yeah, that's all a bit heavy, really, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's sort of those sort of thoughts. So um, back to regular movie monsters. <laughs> regular movie monsters. You know, what do they want? You know, what do they want? You know, they're always rampaging about in a mood and murdering people, whatever. What is it they want? What are they trying to tell us through their actions? You know, I mean, you know, 
Frankenstein's monster is forever carrying off young women in low-cut blouses. I mean, there's an implication there, but I mean, is he even equipped? I mean, there's some Italian films where he is, trust me. Uh, <laughs> I refer you to Frankenstein 80 and Lady Frankenstein, to name but two. Um, quite amazing pieces of appalling <laughs> Italian schlock that are unintentionally hilariously and quite disturbingly funny. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, because <clears throat> I once read, I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this before. I once read um, this book called Dreadful Pleasures by um, James B. Twitchell, um, who was a university professor. And anyway, we wrote this book about giving a Freudian interpretation of various gothic monsters. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's all about, because obviously for Freudian, it's all about sex. All about sex, you know. Obviously, I like Jekyll and Hyde and the Wolfman are obvious because, you know, by transforming into a bestial version of this bestial creature, they're able to fulfill their sublimated um, sexual fantasies that no, because they're always respectable when they're in human form, which no respectable person, no respectable gentleman would, would dare think about doing to a lady. But, you know, when they're bestial, <laughs> and of course the wolfman adds, adds you know eating pews he has cannibalism to it as well um which is sometimes linked with the sexual fetish but there you go very strange some very strange people out there yeah um vampires are all about <laughs> on the one hand oral sex because of all that blood or drinking of blood um, Oh, you know, that's obvious. I don't have to explain that to anyone. Um, also, of course, the, the, it's about the uh, because it's a Freudian analysis and you have to bring father figures into it. They are about the uh, unsuitable father figure transgressing, you know, because it's always young women they prey on. And the vampire in appearance usually appears to be old enough to be their father. We know in reality he's old enough to be their great-great-grandfather. But, you know, it's the same idea. You know, he's the father figure who transgresses by having his surrogate surrogacy for sex with them, of biting them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Frankenstein's monster, result of unnatural sex. Because he's created by man without woman. And turns out to be, be a horrible rampaging beast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but some gothic monsters defeat him in his Freudian analysis. The mummy. I mean, God knows what the mummy wants. Um, you know, he keeps chasing after reincarnations of his lost love. But um, what's he going to do with them? Because, you know, he's, he's mummified all over. Uh, plus... In the mummification process, you know, various vital organs used to be hacked out and stuck in jars. So, um, anyway, yeah, 
zombie likewise defeats him um, in any kind of Freudian analysis because, you know, God knows what zombies want other than eating brains. Um, Because, you know, when it comes to any sexual motivation, for God's sake, I mean, they're they're all decayed and their extremities are dropping off all the time. So that rather precludes (laughs) doing anything other than eating people. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not the only Freudian analysis of um, of horror films I've read. Actually, it was quite fashionable at one time. But I can't honestly remember who wrote the book or what it was called. But it was an analysis of Hammer film. I think it's actually just one essay in a whole collection of critical analysis of Hammer movies. And this one did read like somebody's psychology thesis. And um, <laughs> it was just full of all this, this stuff about it really did focus on the idea of vampire as a father figure. <laughs> and apparently, you know, because, of course, it's popular to, to decapitate. Vamp- decapitation is a it notes is a popular form of um, killing vampires as an alternative to staking them and um you see a lot of that in the vampire lovers, vampire getting um, decapitated. Um, a nineteen seventy Hammer, Hammer Hammer movie, and the decapitation is um, symbolic of castration. It's it's an analogy for the castration of the father figure. And, you know, I read this and I think, you know, I think you'll find decapitation is like, you know, an analogy for decapitation. Uh, because this problem is the family film where it mainly happened was, the as I said, the vampire lovers. And um, the vamp- main vampire gets decapitated and that is a woman. Um, <laughs> he does, the, the author does make the value in that particular essay, made the valid point, of course. You might actually be better off reading in um, a class analogy for Hammer Films vampires because they were usually members of the aristocracy, um, dominating local peasants and whatever. And, this, you know, and the reason people don't rise up against them and stake them is not because they fear them because of their supernatural powers, but it's because they are in positions of authority and authority protects authority. And, you know, if they kill them, then they'll have the whole whole rest of the bloody nobility down on them. Um, So they allow them to carry on exploiting them both economically and through literally sucking them dry, sucking their blood dry, Um, sucking them dry of blood. But uh, yeah, But this essay, I, I do remember, also had a bit about there's a there's a 50s Hammer film called X the Unknown, a science fiction film, and it describes one of the early scenes that that's in Freudian terms, but a small boy called Willie significantly is running running towards a phallic tower uh, for for safety when a vaginal crack in the opens up in the ground before him and. This fluid oozes out and engulfs him. 
<laughs> and even the author had to admit that has probably gone a bit far in uh, in terms of Freudian Freudian analysis. And I thought, yeah, you think? <laughs> yes, it can be good fun that sort of analysis, but you can easily get carried away with it and, and lose lose sight of the fact that really we're just talking about low budget exploitation films here. <laughs> you know? That's ultimately what they are. And it's always important not to read too much into them. But yeah, so there you go. Some thoughts on monsters for this Halloween season. That note, I say, back to you, PQ. And indeed, I am back. And that wonderful stuff, uh, talking about oh, the unknown, the Lon Chaney film, that when I finally got to see it, that just blew my mind. A guy pretending to be an armless wonder uh, for love actually amputates his own arms. And um, yet this is a spoiler, so you might want to skip ahead. Although I can't imagine anybody's going to run out to watch this for some surprise. But just imagine. Yes, he thinks the girl is absolutely repelled by being held in a man's arms. But of course, she eventually falls in love with a handsome man with arms. And there he is, with no arms. Um, yeah, Cheney was great. Uh, well, he didn't actually script his films, but they wrote some great things about him. Laugh, clown, laugh. Uh, the ones where he played clowns. I would love to see The Lost London After Midnight, which is sort of, uh, from all accounts, uh, what's left, it's a lost film, obviously. It was a humorous take on the Dracula myth and that those Dracula stories, um, the sexy Christopher Lee. And I guess in his day, even though by, you know, when I was a kid watching Dracula movies with either John Carradine or Bella Lugosi, that just went completely over my head. And yeah, House of Frankenstein was mentioned. And yes, it is a ludicrous film but it has so many great lines where um, the hunchback is in love. I think it's Dwight Fry with the gypsy woman and she's in love with Wolfman. So he wants to be put into the Wolfman's body and anything with carnival caravans just gives me a thrill. I don't know uh, if any of you saw the freak show uh, series in American Horror Story. That took a bunch of things from a bunch of films like that. Yes, it can be a little extra gross and extra sexual in certain ways, but the writing and the storytelling in those, uh, it's very entertaining. And there just isn't real good horror being done anymore in 2023. So I'm willing to take what I can get with that sort of thing. And the idea, yes, freaks... Uh, dwarves, I guess, because I mean, midgets aren't so much a uh, monster, but dwarves have the misshapen head and maybe uh, odd uh, features on their face. And yeah, when I was a kid, there was uh, a dwarf in town and I found him kind of spooky and scary. And that's the whole thing. Really, this is a primordial scare for young people. I don't think grown adults get the same effect. I mean, even in these slasher films, your main audience that you are reaching out for is teenagers, 
and under. I mean, when I was uh, even nine or 10 years old, I wanted to go see the Herschel Gordon Lewis Gore films. And yet those really, per se, didn't have monsters as much as just good old-fashioned entrails and people being cut up and lots of fake blood, which is a whole other element of horror that, you know, now I'm going far afield. Um, King Kong, is he a monster? He's a very sympathetic character. Mighty Joe Young. I mean, they would show these films as horror films or on these horror anthology creature features, thriller theater, um, chiller theater. Oh, man, with the hand coming up. Yeah, these, uh, and movies like the Cape Canaveral Monster, that's not really a monster, although nobody mentioned the Amazing Colossal Beast, and uh, more notably, monster-wise. I mean, the Amazing Colossal Beast was just a guy who grew too big, like 50 feet tall, and became deranged. But War of the Colossal Beast, I remember, that was just so spooky. Half of his face was disfigured, and like the hideous sun demon, the Robert Clark movies, the monster from Piedras Blancas. But yeah, these were just more of those lumbering, costume, scary guys. Um, yeah, monsters are just so cool. And I suppose as a kid, they were just about the coolest to me. And uh, that'll do that for this show. And I got to thank Frank Edward Nora and Doc Salis for making this another epic and memorable Overnight Scape Central of the Monster Party. Yeah, oh God, I remember Mad Monster Party. That was just so fun to watch. Uh, it showed on Odd Sundays, and uh, I watched the thing a bunch of times. And yeah, it's kind of spotty and can be a little boring. Or that movie that Frank mentioned, Little Red Riding Hood Meets the Monsters, which I do vaguely remember seeing as a kid and just I believe it's a Mexican film that uh, that director added music and redubbed and re-edited much like the Santa Claus film that oh it's almost time to watch that but just terrible costumes cheesy plot this is the kind of stuff that in my head I love but I can't imagine actually focusing and sitting through at the age of 63, I must admit. So, yeah, that about puts a lid on that. And now it's time for me to uh, exhort you to take part in next week's Overnightscape Central. So next week, right here on the Overnightscape Central, the topic is 80s movies. Yeah. 80s movies. There were a lot of cool things going on in the 1980s. Uh, it might be the last decade I had anything to do with on a regular basis with films. And uh, th there's a bunch and uh, a lot of stuff. Wow. The fact that it, it was 40 years ago is kind of terrifying. But 1980s movies is what we'll be talking about here. And yes, I want you, you, I would appreciate it, in fact, if you would take a few minutes, record a segment, write something out in an email, and I can read it. But join us and listen, at the very least, next week here on the Overnightscape Central. 
Uh, the email address to send any uh, submissions and ideas is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. That's the email, and I'll repeat it. But really, this is uh, this will be fun. Uh, there's and it's a plethora of film, cinema, and crap. That's right, right here on the Overnight Scape Central. Once again, uh, and you can do a follow-up to uh, this week's topic of monster movies, or if you've still got something to say about sitcoms, by all means, co-opt and uh, send us what you got to say. We are always open uh, with all of the topics we've ever covered to let you have your say. Uh, Comment, if you will, on anything anyone has said here on the Overnight Scape Central. Uh, I'm especially me. I am always uh, curious to know where I am going because, hey, I don't know. I've got no clue half the time. I'm just driveling along in my little world of nostalgia and thoughts. Once again, that email address to participate, send comments, what have you. And if you send comments, I will, uh, of course, read them here. kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And uh, that's it. That's all we got this time. Thanks again for being here and being part of the whole system and patching in. And uh, until the next time we meet, set the controls for the heart of the fun.